Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading corporate social responsibility at Blackboard. Today, we are joined on the podcast by Erica Barnhart, who is the CEO of Claxton Marketing whose mission is to teach those doing good how to get noticed. She also serves as the director of the Nancy Bell Evans Center on Nonprofits and Philanthropy at the University of Washington. Erica is an expert on creating effective messaging and is the author of Pitch Falls, Why Bad Pitches Happen to Good People, which focuses on today's topic, which is why your organization needs an elevator pitch and how to craft a good one. So welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So Erica, let's jump in and just learn a little bit about you. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So let's see. I am chatting with you live from Seattle, Washington. Let's see. I have two great teenagers. <laughs> I try to get out to the mountains as much as possible. I'm American, so I was born in Canada to American parents. So personally, as the intro nodded to, professionally, I have a number of hats, actually. You have some very long titles. I don't know how you fit <laughs> that is, on a card. I don't. You know, it's silly. It's it's silly, honestly. I mean, but but when you boil all of it down, you take away all the titles, really professionally and focused on how to use words to make the world a better place. Um, oh, I love that. How to use words to make the world a better place. Yeah. Being yeah. someone who loves words, that that's a beautiful statement. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we can... Break that out a little bit. Yes, I'm an associate teaching professor at the Evans School, which is at the University of Washington. So at the Evans School, we're focused on inspiring public service and democratizing public policy. And there I focus on you know, teaching and research. And then my other hat, one of my other hats, <laughs> uh, is a consulting hat. Right? And with that hat on, I help clients maximize their impact by maximizing the power of their words. Right. So you hear the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really does all boil down to how can we use words to make the world a better place? Yeah. And words are really important. Words hold promise and power and can often be misused, can be uh, misinterpreted. So I think you know about me that I got a master's degree in journalism and I am like a grammar and syntax geek. Like the whole Oxford comma thing, like, you know, blew my mind. Use a comma (laughs) or not use a comma. Where do you fall on the, I like to call it the serial comma. Oxford gets all the credit. Pro or for or against? Yeah, we'll have to take that one offline. Okay, but, you okay. know, in journalism school, they teach you to take things out right. so that copy can be shorter, which yes. was because of news columns. Yeah. But um, the thing that I love is if you actually under deeply understand punctuation, you understand that it adds meaning to the words, the way the punctuation marries with the words. So we could talk about that for an hour and everybody else on the podcast would probably drop off. <laughs> but... We do have an issue with the use of language within the social goods sector in that nonprofits often use words to describe what they do that become super technical. And you have a whole committee of people who are everything from bankers and lawyers and accountants and to whatever, trying to stuff things in and edit by committee. And then what you end up with is something that doesn't actually convey that incredible power and emotive power of what the organization does. So you're like the antidote to that. So so why do you think that social good professionals need to have a strong elevator pitch for their organizations? 
Yeah. So let's talk first about what we mean by an elevator pitch, because to be honest, I wish that we could get away from the term. I know we can't. It just has too much equity. (laughs) However, it's super problematic because the mind share around it is that your elevator pitch is meant to be a deal closer. And like, if you know the history where the term came from, the backstory, which right is goes back to 1853 when Elisha Graves Otis, the inventor of the elevator, literally had to convince people at the Crystal Palace Convention in New York City that it was okay, it was safe to get on an elevator. So he really did have to close the deal. And he can, you know, he constructed this whole thing. Um, and, and actually, like, you know, there's a big crowd and there are people in the elevator and they could see them. And then the elevator dropped and people were like, oh my gosh. So he had to close the deal to get people to get on the elevators. That's just actually not the scenario most of us face. So when we say elevator pitch, I want listeners to think of a door opener rather than a deal closer. That's how I think of it. Like if someone says, oh, you're on that board or oh, who you are, what do you do? You need to be able to tell them based on if you have one floor of the elevator or you have two floors, how you unpack it. Yeah, exactly. How you unpack it. But pretty much in no scenario are you looking, for instance, to like get in an elevator with somebody you've never seen or met before and go from like, hey, I mean, we don't even make eye contact mainly in elevators anymore. We're looking at our phones. Oh, I you do. Know, so I'm, a, like, I'm one of those people I, who yes. talks to everybody in elevators. And there was apparently an article that came out last <laughs> year that said people who talk to other people in elevators are happier. Oh. And that is me. Oh, that's not so the that's article why I your miss, reference. Oh, well, they, that's why I miss being, you know, with my colleagues in our building and all those creative collisions. So anyway, I digress. Yes. So back to the elevator pitch. Think of it like an invitation, right? Hmm. Just when the door opens, what's the invitation? And I was going to say, it's very rare that that goes from getting on the elevator to like, if you're a nonprofit saying like, hey, do you want to donate? <laughs> I mean, this is where elevator pitch has has a bad reputation and, and it just stresses people out. So I think bringing intentionality to like, what do we mean by an elevator pitch and what is its job? And its yep. job really, in most instances, is to invite more people into the good work that you're doing. And that's it. That word invitation is so interesting because it it really does. Oh, it's just an invitation. It's a It's an invitation to even if you can't come to the party, you can say, oh, but we'll talk about this. Exactly. So, yeah. So obviously you're focusing on this because organizations and people have struggled with it. Yeah. So what are the biggest mistakes you see in elevator pitches? I see, let's see, let's talk about two main things because there's a lot. (laughs) And then, you know, there's, I go over five in pitchfalls, which is very short, by the way. I want listeners to understand this is a seven minute read. Um, And I made it this small pocketbook. So that to like, oh, cool. make it more um, approachable. This should be approachable. And it this could actually be, like, it's so small, you could give it to people to as a reference. That's exactly what I encourage folks to do is buy one for all your board members, especially, mm-hmm. and your staff, uh, but board in particular. Anyway, we can talk about what, why that's so important. Mistakes. So number one really would be telling people your everything rather than your essence. Right. And then the second is sort of, it seems like it's antithetical to it, but it's hedging. So it's being afraid to be clear about what you stand for. And so let's talk about the first one. So when you tell people you're everything, they actually remember nothing. And so this is when, and we've all been on the receiving end of this for the most part. You say, what do you do? Or where do you work? And this, the organization do, and somebody just starts talking at you. 
And this comes from a really great place of having a working hypothesis that if you just tell someone enough things about the organization, eventually you will land on something that are like, oh, that's interesting. So it comes from a really great place. The way to counteract that, the antidote to that, is to be clear about sequencing, right? Hmm. Combined with making peace with your thing isn't going to be for everybody, right? Gene Simmons of KISS uh, said you have to understand that nothing appeals to everybody. And so just this, and that's tough, you know, that's emotional stuff. A lot of this work is emotional. Like we think of it as like very analytical and up here in the brain and, and that's a piece of it. But there is very much an emotional piece for, for those in the social good space. We care about what we're doing deeply. So um, that's a bit of, you know, uh, psychology and emotional uh, care that has to happen as you're going through this process. Because the other thing about telling people you're everything is you, you are, it is coupled with this idea of you're kind of hedging right? Like, I'm just going to tell you all the everything and maybe the 14th or 15th thing I say is going to be interesting. That didn't work well before COVID and, you know, our racial reckoning and all the rest of it. And, and now people have no tolerance for that. That that tolerance, if it was there, is gone. Mm-hmm. We want to know what you stand for. Fundamentally, who are you? What's your why? What's your what? What's your who? What's your how? Just very fundamentally. So if you if you can make peace with that first, it becomes easier. Uh, and with your staff and with your board and you know anybody who's important to the organization. And then, and then you get to, to sequencing and creating what I refer to as identity statements, which is sort of how you end up with, a, with, a, with an elevator pitch that you can calibrate. So we can, we can talk about that. But those are the two biggies. Yep. Tell people you're everything, not your essence, and hedging. Okay. So what makes a good elevator pitch? How do you start? What do you do? So first, and this is increasingly the work I do with clients is you have to, so it's really interesting because people will be like, we need an elevator pitch. And what you're saying is we need like this one thing that everybody's going to say, and you just focus on, on kind of getting there. And we were joking before we started recording about, well, where that leads you for the most part is an exercise or activity that is done by a whole bunch of people. And there's a whole bunch of words stuffed to use that, that great expression stuffed in there. Oftentimes, semicolons make an appearance. Okay, so we're right back to (laughs) this is your everything. And again, that comes from a beautiful place. Honor the place. People want to see their piece of what they care about, specifically about your organization. And then let that go. Release, release, release. And develop your, your, your identity statements, which are four statements. Mission, vision, values, purpose. So most nonprofits, uh, mission, vision, values will be very familiar. Purpose is a bit newer. So let's talk about what what the job, again, the job of each of these is. Because we don't talk about that a lot, right? We say like mission mm-hmm. statement. Um, by the way, some of the research I did found that um, fully 50%, 50% of nonprofits have mission statements that are technically incomprehensible, not working for us. And I think the reason for that is a little bit this design by committee. And also it's that we're trying to, we're not clear on what the mission statement's job is, right? So vision where you're going and why, right? That's the horizon. It's always moving out. This is big, but you're moving towards it and everybody's moving in the same direction, right? Your values are the principles that guide your work, right? So that's how, how are we going to get there? And you operate, you operationalize these statements throughout the organization. Yes, they're handy for the elevator pitch. Yes, they're handy in external marketing, but really these identity statements should be operationalized throughout. So we have vision, where we're going and why, purpose, Purpose, no, vision, where you're going to why. Values, how you're going to get there, principles. Purpose is why you exist as an organization. 
right? Why do you exist as an organization? If that's where, if that's your vision, why, why are you needed? This is a very existential moment and it's a tough question to ask. Mission then is left to do the very specific job of speaking to what you do and how you do it. And if you let each statement on its own do its job, then you can, it's like, it's like chemistry, right? Then you have these messaging elements and you compound them in different ways. And I actually gave an example at the beginning when I was talking about the Evans School uh, and talking about Claxon. That was like a combo meal. I compounded the purpose and the mission statement of both of those. I took the bits out that I felt would most resonate with the audience to create a really short invitation. So that's, that's the idea, right? You want clear, concise, and repeatable so that people ask questions. So this is the other thing that people are like, what? You want someone to ask questions. I want someone to ask me like, how do you maximize impact by maximizing words? What does that even mean? And we have this like kind of fear around that. Like we're, we're told this is elevator pitch, cause you know, if it's a deal closer, they better not have questions. We better get to yes. It's like, no, if it's an invitation, if that's interesting to you and you have a question, that's awesome. Then, then we get to, you know, come into relationship, come into conversation. And so it goes. Um, so, so can I ask a question? Yes, you can. So I love this. And when I get to mission and, and I think I share with you that I'm right in the middle of mm. a like mission rewriting right. exercise yeah. for a board that I'm on. And part of the issue is I think there's a lack of clarity about mm-hmm. these four pieces and too many of the pieces are showing up in the mission that shouldn't yeah. be there. How deep in a mission do you get to the how? Because doesn't the how become so tactical that that's just kind of like what you do versus it, it being your mission? Yeah, this is it's a great question. And unfortunately, the answer is it depends, which is, I realize, a frustrating answer. You know, it, just, it depends on the organization. I, I, the, the sort of guidance I can offer on that um, when I'm working is like, generally, you're not, you will dip, you will not dip into programmatic specificity, right? So your mission statement shouldn't be, here's all the things we do, right? Or here's a, here's a listing of our programs. It's more, uh, again, why do you have all those programs? Like, what do you do? What's the, what's the connective tissue? What's the common thread? Whatever term you want to use, right? Uh, what does that look like? So not the how, 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 how. But if you say your mission statement, and, you know, I'll go back to maximizing words, right, to maximize your impact. If somebody asks me how I do that, that's my open, that's what I do, how I do it, then I, then that's an invitation again. That's my, you know, somebody else saying, all right, like, let's talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to talk about consulting and I'm, you know, going to talk about listening to my podcast, marketing for good. And I'm, you know, there's a, there's a cornucopia of different ways of different hows. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not you go there really, it really depends on the organization. I will say there's a little bit of a correlation between size so if you're a super small organization and really you're, you're doing one thing, both your what and your how can end up, usually are going to end up in your mission statement. If you're larger, like black buff, <laughs> uh, I mean, you couldn't possibly put all your hows into your mission um, because then we would be right back to telling people you're everything and not your essence. Okay. So um, what do you do when you're working with someone who's got a mission statement and wants to make it better? Like, do you have um, examples of how you can tweak things without like overhauling everything? (laughs) Well, I I will say this. Most of the time when a client comes to me and says, we have a mission statement, we only want to focus on the mission statement. We don't want to overhaul everything. 
My next, the, the thing I'm going to ask is a series of questions about where are you at organizationally? What's the why behind wanting to take a look at your mission statement? What's not working about it for you, right? Um, and the reason I'm asking that is because then that gives a sense for, is this truly a tweak? Like, did you really, truly tweak something? Or do you, or do you want to make your mission statement do a job that it can't do? Meaning you want to create a mission statement that's going to solve some sort of organizational issue. Hmm. And you don't put that burden on these statements, right? So I would say nine times out of 10, when somebody wants to quote unquote tweak the mission statement, they're, they're trying to avoid something else. <laughs> and so that's just the reality of, of, of that particular question. When you get there with all of these statements and with messaging in general, uh, my advice is that you deconstruct and then you reconstruct. And what I mean by that is look at parts of speech. So one of the big, in terms of like how folks write these sentences is they do that, they write them. And what I encourage people to do is first think about verbs, right? Verbs are action words. And then think about the nouns, okay? And the reason that I advise that is the rigor of having to really be like, what's our verb? What is the change? Because by the way, that's the change that you're committed to making in the world. Uh, and then look at nouns, right? So deconstruct to reconstruct. So I did a piece of research now uh, about five years ago where we um, looked at all the words on 2,503 nonprofit websites. Um, and the reason that we did that, so that gives us a database of about 15 million words. And that was our magic number because that way we could generalize the entire nonprofit sector in terms of which words are used and how frequently. And the reason that matters is because our brains, our brains like a combo of novelty because that releases happy chemicals, right? We like can't help but want to know novelty, but also familiarity, right? I mean, fundamentally, our brains are hardwired to keep us safe. They're mm -hmm. trying to keep us safe. They're trying to keep us safe. And we're, when we are safe enough, then we can sort of pop up and be like, oh, that's an interesting word. Oh, I didn't, you know, so Evans democratized public policy. Oh, that's it. Okay. I may understand what this is, at least for our audience, you know, as a school of public policy and governance, folks know what that is. What does it mean to democratize it? I'm safe. I'm intrigued. I'm safe. I'm intrigued. And that's this idea when you deconstruct first, down to part of speech, then you can put things back together in a much more intentional way. And you don't end up with all this extraness, all the semicolons, like 14, <laughs> you know, long lines of stuff. Um, so that's, and that's what makes it strong. It's what makes it durable because it's got that combination of things that map right to how our brains are hardwired. That's so interesting. The idea I haven't thought about nouns and verbs and you know parts of speech that and most people don't. They're like, um, oh my god, really? No, but okay. I'm. I, I told you I was a word yes. geek, so um, a language a language person. It is true. I think it's true, or the way I look at it in the world is that nouns do get a lot of play. Like it's like they are the the key part of speech, right? And I love what you said about verbs being the change you're committed to making. And there's there's a oh thank you. That's the power of language. That that's really interesting to me. I know everyone. Like I don't know. Sorry, listeners, if you don't think this is as cool as I do, um, but you're right though. Like nonprofits are there to create change, to do good things. And what is that thing that's uniquely you that you're going to promise? Yeah. And here's the thing, just to get listeners reengaged who might have you know tapped out at parts of speech. Um, if you have the verb provide as your primary verb. I can pretty much guarantee you that you're, wherever that is, usually it's in the mission statement, is not 
it, it can't do its job for you. Your mission statement is not working as hard as you are for your organization if you have the verb provide. And the reason is, is that based on this research that we did, it is the fifth most used verb by nonprofits. And it's the first, what I refer to as like a content verb. So the others are like, is and are, you know, they're, they're like, you kind of have to have them. Um, they're right. fun function words and so, and function verbs. Um, then we get to provide. And the reason, so you were saying we focus a lot on nouns, we do in the English language because 50% of the English language nominally is nouns. So we're really actually, and we're trained, right? Subject, verb, object. We all learned this in like grade two. So we're really trained to focus on our nouns. And I'm not saying don't focus on your nouns. I'm just saying that comes so easily to us in the English language. And what happens is all these committee committee members, um, staff board, whoever, you know, come together and they, you, by default, we focus on the nouns. And then you're like, oh, it's not a complete sentence. And the cool thing about provide is you can provide anything to anybody. It is flexible. And it does nothing to speak specifically to the change that you are going to create in the world. You are committed to creating the world. It just, mm -hmm. it just can't. I can think of in all the years and the thousands of organizations, you know, I've worked there through, you know, teaching, coaching, consulting, one organization, um, and they were in uh, healthcare service, uh, and really it was provide. So that's the only instance I can think of where when pushed, and the, when pushed, somebody wasn't like, oh yeah, okay, we're, we're layman out a little bit on that. Because, and this goes right back to, to something we were talking about earlier, which is like, don't hedge. You know, don't go vanilla. You want to be the pistachio. You actually want high positive, high negative, right? That's from the book, The Company of One, uh, where the author is like, you know, you either really love pistachio or you're really like, that's disgusting. I'm in the I love pistachio category, by the way. But you could think of whatever, whatever creates high positive, high negative. And again, this goes back to something else we've already talked about, which is like, that's emotional. It is really hard for people in the social good space to feel comfy or good in any way with the idea that you might talk to somebody and they may just really not care about what you're doing, really not care. And that's, you know, that's just the way it goes. You know, one thing that makes people feel better about that is like, if you can really get to that place with these identity statements and you like, they're so core to the organization, everybody's what I refer to as fluent in them. So you kind of know like which pieces you're going to compound together, which elements you're going to compound together, you know, that allows you to get to consistency and it's efficient. It is really efficient. So for resource-constrained organizations, which many in the social good space are, once you start thinking about it, it's like, how many more resources are you going to spend trying to convert somebody who really doesn't care as deeply about your work versus focusing on inviting all those people who already care, they already value, they already share your vision, right? Inviting them into your work, much more efficient. So if you're clear so on, these, on these statements, it, there's an accelerator effect to them in terms of attracting. So is it fair to say and redirect me if I'm wrong here that, you know, your elevator pitch starts with your mission statement and then it unpacks from there? Oh, I or... love this question. I wish that it were that, that tidy. Um, and I used to like very much say, you know, because people will say, what do you do? Um, and I used to say, you know, your response, I will stand by your response should be what you want to be known for. So what you do is going to get you to the cilantro list. Okay, usually, often. <laughs> um, and what, you're, what you want to do is craft a response that is, what do we want to be known for? You know, and not just like what, what I might say to you, but what's going to be repeated to other people, right? Because that's your multiplier effect. So is it the mission statement? Sometimes, right? Sometimes if that's what you want to be known for, but for other organizations, it's going to be purpose. It's going to be their why. Um, and again, 
often, often it's a, it's a combination of, of things, which is what I did, you know, my intro. And in the book, I talk about, um, you don't want to be a robot. So the other thing about coming up with sort of, you know, it has, the response has to be a mission statement is, um, different people will have comfort with different of the state, with different elements of the statements. And so you do want to invest the time and energy and making sure that everybody, your board and your staff, again, like everybody feels super fluent in all of them so they can personalize them because it is the passion that people bring to this work that really, you know, attracts people to it. So you don't want to be like, we have to say it word for word. You're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with people sounding like robots, which is not super compelling. It's, it is more nuanced than that, but that's why I say like develop these identity statements, get like invest the time and energy and it takes time and it takes energy. Um, and you know, I have a really specific way that I work with organizations and we get like all voices are heard, uh, in it. And so that increases adoption at the end, um, get people fluent in those. And then it, it takes care of itself. Right. It really does. So some people get really confused by the fact that there are so many statements. And, you know, is it okay to say, find the the one that fits right for you that you're the most comfortable with that you can then Mm -hmm. even just like how we introduce ourselves. I could say who I am based on my title. Right. Or which I did at the beginning of this podcast. But when I talk about what I do, I talk about how I help our people at Blackboard be agents of good. That's much more compelling. Um, but sometimes I use one and sometimes I use the other and I, I'm not intentional about that. I should be. I would actually offer back. Likely your subconscious has been very intentional on your behalf. You might not be consciously intentional. You may not like get into the elevator and be like, well, am I going to use my title or am I going to go right for the mission or maybe a little purpose, but you know, like we don't necessarily do that. Our subconscious minds make, you know, 95% ish of all of our decisions. They're already made. And so actually we're pretty good at, you know, and especially for somebody like you who gets into the elevator and actually like makes eye contact and you get a trillion pieces of information in that. So I wonder if consciously, sure, you may not go through all that decision analysis, but our brains can't really handle that. But subconsciously, I bet that you are calibrating right where you need to, that you, that you your subconscious says, this is somebody who's going to need your title up front. Versus. Which is true. Sometimes need, people need that. I That's actually right. prefer the non-title approach, but. Sure. But it depends, you know, and again, there's, there's always two stories being told, even if it's one or two sentences, what you think the story is, what's coming out of your mouth and the story that is heard and received. Yeah. Uh, so all these are sort of like, you know, <laughs> you're playing the odds a little bit, but just, and I just did a podcast with Leslie Zane about the subconscious marketing. And, you know, the, the power of the subconscious is so underutilized in, the, in general, but in the social good space, because we're, we're kind of told, like, we have to be even more on point, even more intellectual, even more, you know, more rigor, more this, more that, because, you know, otherwise we're just mamby-pamby doing the stuff, you know, from a place of our heart, which as if that's a bad thing, <laughs> that balance Right. So if you can t- like make comfort with like 95 percent of decisions already made, we have access to the five percent more easily. And this is values. People's values are coming from their subconscious. It's really interesting. You can go around and ask people, like, what are your values? And most people will be able to come up with it. And if you say, well, why do you hold that value? You really have to think about it. You have to give pause. And that's because they've been accumulated over time uh, and they live in the subconscious. So consciously articulating values is a way of elevating out of your subconscious into your conscious mind uh, what those are. What are those principles that guide our lives and guide the work in an organizational context? So I don't know. I think you're probably more intentional than you think. 
Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, so I think you and I could talk about this yes, for a very could. long time, including all sorts of other things that people on this call may may not care about having to do with grammar and syntax. And <laughs> but I think most people on this call and that are listening care about bringing as many people into their work that care about the work as deeply as they do. And that's, I mean, I hope that that's what listeners take away is all of this talk about verbs and nouns, and we didn't even talk about adjectives. It matters not for the dorkiness of it, it matters for the impact that it can create. Yeah, words have power, which is where you started. So um, for those listeners who want to learn more, yeah. um, where should they go? Is there a website they can go to or a resource that you would recommend? I know you've mentioned your book, which is a good little, you said, small, um, concise, easy to consume, yeah. easy to give to other people. So what else would you tell us? I would say... Um, if you're interested in this idea of how marketing can be a force for good, definitely check out the Marketing for Good podcast. If you want some word inspiration, um, just like you're like, oh, maybe we should kind of change up some words, um, wordofire.com uh, is a great resource for that. And then claxomarketing.com has a whole bunch of different resources um, on there, kind of just depending on where you're at and, uh, and where you think you want to go. Um, you can and go that's there. C-L-A-X-T-O-N? No, T. C-L-A-X-O-N marketing.com. And it's a klaxon horn. That auga is a klaxon horn. Oh, I see. I'm learning lots of things today. And you said that was Words on Fire. Is that the other site that you recommended? Oh, the Word of Fire. Word, Word W-O-R-D-I-F-I-E-R.com. Okay. Although I like Words okay. on Fire. That's how I heard it. So it's like we're telling people to go to a site and they need to know exactly Word where to go. Fire. Yeah. I, what am I? Yeah. I, I talk very quickly because I get very enthused about this topic. So thanks for, thanks for the clarifying question. Well, it is a great topic. And I hope our SG Engage listeners enjoyed um, listening to this and all our other episodes. So Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And to our listening audience, uh, thanks for being here. I hope you continue to tune in to all of our various episodes. This is Rachel Hutchison signing off. Thank you.